We are <clears throat> in the book of Jude. Um, last week we started into there and there were a number of people who were not here. It was Mother's Day, I think, and a lot of people were gone. Um, so let me just give a very brief two or three minute introduction to the book and then we want to go to verses uh, three and four. I know that's not very much, but that's really sets the stage for the rest of the book. Next week, we'll go through most of the rest of it and then we'll finish it the week after that. So we'll be four weeks in Jude. Um, Jude was written by Jude. Actually, probably the name is actually Judas. Uh, Jude is, um, identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and he is the brother of James. Um, he is the brother of James, who is the James who leads the church in Jerusalem. And James also happens to be the half-brother of Christ. So Jude is the half-brother of Christ. We mentioned that last week. Um, I think the reason he doesn't mention that is because the fact of him claiming to be the brother of Christ, that isn't really his relationship with Jesus Christ anymore. His relationship is that Christ is his Lord and Savior. And that's where the focus is. Um, and also, because he doesn't want to claim authority for himself based upon uh, something else, but rather that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. And that was mentioned last week as well. Um, the purpose of the book is stated clearly, and the reason why it's being written is stated clearly, and that's what we're gonna look at today. He's asking us to contend for the faith because there have been um, false teachers that have come in unnoticed that are taking people um, and, and, and spreading false doctrine. Um, unlike Paul, who would hit the doctrinal issue head on and say, here's what they're saying and here's why it's wrong and here's what's right, Jude never tells us what the doctrinal issue is. Jude instead focuses entirely on their character what it is that makes them a false teacher. So that's kind of interesting. Normally we're saying, okay, what's the error? So we, we know about the ones Paul dealt with, especially the Judaizers, the people who came in and said you had to be circumcised to be saved and you had to follow the Old Testament law. And in our day, that would come in the form of legalism. There's got to do something else to be saved. And then John in the book of John deals with the Gnostics who say Christ didn't really come in the flesh that God doesn't take on human flesh, that that would demean him. And so there were these two heresies. We don't know which heresy, but what we do know is what, John's, uh, what Jude says about these people. And we'll look at that more next week. <clears throat> and then um, we're going, we, we also looked at verse two last week, and I do wanna review that a little bit. There is a three word summary of what it means to be a believer. The three word summary is that as believers, we are called, uh, loved, and kept. We are called before the foundation of the earth. We are loved from, from eternity past to eternity future, and our salvation is kept in Jesus Christ. This is a great epitaph on somebody's tombstone. <laughs> called, loved, kept. That's what we are as Christians, called, loved, and kept. That is a three-word summary of Romans 8, the second part of Romans 8. We read that last week. It's a wonderful little thing to hold on to. You are called, you are loved, you are kept. Um, last week we were talking about the love of God, and I thought about one of my favorite books, which is Knowing God. This is my copy. It's, I should get a new one one of these days. You just hate to get rid of a book that you got marked up. So 
I've read this number of times. I give this to students when they graduate from uh, high school, and some of them actually read it. And <laughs> it says good. Um, but he's talking about, it's a study of the character of God. And he goes through and he talks about all these different characteristics of God. And he gets to the love of God. There's a whole chapter on love of God. And this is what he says. God's love is not the complete truth about God as far as the Bible is concerned. All right? There's other things, right? There's love of God. There's God's wrath. There's God's justice. There's God's holiness. All of these different things. So you read that, and I agree. And then the next, next point is really interesting. God's love, or God is love, is the complete truth about God as far as the Christian is concerned. The only thing, in a sense, you need to know is that God loves you. Every one of his other attributes is wrapped up in there, but we are secure in God's love. That's what we need to know. You're not loved because of something you did, because you could stop doing it. You're not loved because of something you haven't done because you could start doing it. You're not loved because of some personality trait because that could change. You're loved because he set his love upon you. So that was last week. This week, we are going to look at, well, actually we missed a verse. Verse two, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. That's Jude's prayer for his church. I'm not gonna deal with that verse. Just realized that I was focused on verses three and four. So let's read verses three and four. And then I wanna spend time in those verses. I think there's a lot of material in there to, to cover. Uh, but let's read the whole book one more time since it's so short and we'll come back to um, Jude chapter, uh, Jude verses three and four. By the way, here's a really good exercise for those of you who like to kind of study along. Read the book of Second Peter. Jude is like cliff notes of Second Peter. He uses the same analogies. He uses some of the same phrases. It's obvious that Jude had studied 2 Peter when he wrote this book. Um, so let's read the book and then we'll get to it. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called beloved in God, the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. <clears throat> for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God and s into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you <clears throat> In just a second. <coughs> I think I got it. All right. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual morality, and pursued unnatural desire serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. 
and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to ba uh, Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly um, of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority for all time and now and forever. Amen. Um, all right, verses three and four. So let's start with verse three. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Um, Jude apparently had set out to write a letter and the letter was designed to simply uh, inform about our common salvation. They were gonna write to you about our common salvation. By the way, the early church fathers did a lot of letter writing. We actually have a lot of them. They wrote to churches. Obviously, you didn't travel easily. You sent letters. You obviously didn't Facebook or email, right? And you didn't get on an airplane and fly there. So a lot of letters, and Jude is in the process of writing a letter to the intended audience. And it says that he is, he found it necessary to write this letter. So something has happened and it causes him to want to write this letter. I think this is the, the Holy Spirit, in fact, I'm sure of it, coming upon him and compelling him to write what becomes one of the books of the New Testament. This is God's inspiration upon him. Um, this is the Holy Spirit moving him. He had no choice but to write this letter. Um, that's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, he found it necessary to write, and the reason we are to write is to contend for the faith. All right, let's start with that. Um, contend for the faith. This is what he is asking us, uh, asking the people he's writing to do, contend for the faith. What does contend mean? What was that? Stand up for, Stand up for to struggle for. 
Who contends? What is that? A boxer. Yeah, I think of that line, I could have been a contender, right? A contender is somebody, contentious person means that you're in the fight, okay? We are to fight for the gospel. We're to stand firm for the, for the gospel, for the faith. Um, Al Mohler, when he went to Southern Baptist Seminary and found that it was filled with apostates, that this was true, his first sermon that he preached was don't just do something, stand there. Don't just do something, stand there. Because the church had denied the faith, and in place of it, they had put all of these social mission organizations. Let's go and do good works, but let's not fight about the faith. And so he was saying, stop doing all of that. Stand here. Stand for what you believe. Fight for what you believe. All right? We're going to contend for, not faith, for the faith. All right? This phrase is important as well. This isn't your faith, this is the faith. This is our common faith. This is the principles that make up, the doctrines that make up the Christian faith. Um, there's really two meanings here to faith. One is um, the belief that you have, but the other is what you actually believe. We're contending for what we believe. We're contending for the truth of the scripture. Um, there's a time where you uh, focus on your own faith, but here it is, we're focusing on the, the faith that was given to us. Right. Now, who is the ones who are supposed to contend? Those who are called, loved, and kept. Okay, I'll agree with that. Those who are called, loved, and kept. That means you, if you're a believer. If you go back to the beginning of verse 3, he says, Beloved. In the scripture, when you talk about beloved, that means every Christian that's being addressed. You are one of the beloved. You see, sometimes we look at this and we say, well, this is for Ravi Zacharias, <laughs> right? Big apologist, he's out there contending for the faith. This is for Pastor Scott. He should contend for the faith. This is for the elders. They are supposed to contend for the faith. And by the way, that's true. But it's also for you you should be contending for the faith. This is not something that is some super saints that are called upon to do, but every single believer. Now, who are we to be contending with? This is actually pretty important. Who are we to be contending with? The apostates. People who have come in and claimed to be of us. We are fighting for the doctrines that they are denying. We're fighting for the principles that they are saying is not true. This is not to be contentious to be contentious. In fact, uh, I'm glad um, the transgender thing was brought up at the beginning. We should, we should be fighting against something like that, but that's actually not necessarily contending for the faith because the people who are doing this... Okay. He is contending. We got it? Or it's, you can just throw that on the ground too, that'll work. I, I read this, this is something. Yeah, that, there was a, 
when I, early on when they first had digital watches, there was a, there was a man in a meeting that we would be in and every time his watch would go off and beep, he had no idea how to reset that, so he would just take the watch off and sit on it. Um, it was really funny, but um, it was kind of like that, because he knew, didn't know what to do. I mean, he got this watch and it just beeped at some random time and he would just take it off and sit on it and we couldn't hear it, so. Um, all right, anyways. Um, we are, there, is, there are different areas to contend, but I do, not Jude, I do not believe Jude here is talking about the fight for abortion or against abortion or transgender bathrooms or even gay marriage at this point. This is talking about the fight that takes place for the tenets of the faith. And it's con we're contending with those who claim to be believers but are not. This is something where we see, like Al Mohler did, you have uh, seminary professors who are teaching false things. We need to contend with those people. Now, that doesn't mean we're not in the fight, but you deal with people differently. If they're not a believer, you deal with them differently than if they claim to be a believer but are apostates. So I'm not saying the other fight isn't important, it is, but I don't think that's what Jude is saying here. Um, so I found it necessary to write to appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Um, so here's the question. What is the faith that we're defending? What, what, what would be the core doctrines? I, I think that's worth doing right now. Now some of you have been through the fundamentals of the faith class, right? What are the things that, that we're going to cling to? And what are things that maybe aren't quite as important that we let slide? Jesus Christ was truly God. Okay. Okay, Christ is God. Okay. And that he has always been, that he's eternal. Okay. What else? Let's throw them out there. What are, by the way, if you have Bible verses, that's really good. Because there are some Bible verses that very clearly state what, uh, what it is. Go ahead, Dave. Okay, Christ is God and man. Uh, he's God in human flesh. He is, uh, is perfect man and perfect God. Um, and was that? One God. Um, and with that, one God, three persons. The uh, Trinity is an important Christian doctrine. One God, three persons, co-equal, co-eternal. Okay. Um, yeah, the um, virgin birth that Christ was, that, that actually gets back to, to this, that Christ is both God and man. Uh, yeah, he would be the Lord. Christ is God and man and Lord. What was that? Somebody started to say something. Was that? Uh, yeah, the inerrancy of the word. Um, th this one we talked about in some in um, some in John, Second John, when we went through. Um, once you take away the inerrancy of the word, the question is what part of the Bible is true? And then you become the judge of that. And all of a sudden you're the authority, not the word of God. Okay, anything else we should throw in there? Perseverance of the saints. 
Okay, perseverance of the saints, which kind of comes back to here. Anything about the way that we're saved? Okay. Grace through faith and through Christ alone. Um, I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians where Paul says, I delivered unto you what was given to me as a first important, that Christ was crucified, that he was buried, that God rose, raised him on the third day. The resurrection is central, as is the crucifixion. So um, let me, let, let me because we got a lot of stuff in here. Um, back during the Reformation, um, the Reformation, uh, the reformers put together what were known as the five solas of uh, the faith. Sola means only. And the five solas, and many of you know them, and we mentioned all of them up here except for one, um, was, uh, and they would do it in Greek, but I don't speak Greek, so it's Christ alone, faith alone, uh, grace alone, scripture alone. What's the last one? Uh, for God's glory alone. In other words, these are the things that you need to keep. And there's truths about Christ that we mentioned, but salvation is in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, as revealed in the scripture alone, for God's glory alone. Um, you hang on to those and you won't stray far away. Now I said, there's some things about Jesus that we mentioned. Um, John says, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So it isn't any Christ that we're holding to, it's the Christ of the New Testament, but. Christ alone, our salvation is in Christ alone, through faith alone, no works, through grace alone, it's all God's doing, um, as revealed in the scripture alone, um, and for God's glory alone. Um, one of the interesting things about any time we add anything to that is that it always takes away from God's glory. If you have a part in your salvation, that diminishes God's glory a little bit. If you have to do some work, that diminishes what Christ did, but it takes away from God's glory. And of course, it also eliminates faith alone and grace alone. So those are the solas of the Reformation. I think those are what are being talked about here. Now, comments. Some of you are ready to jump in here. I may have missed something, maybe. Uh, in the RD in Colinga, very, very well-studied individuals, and we have a constant battle of Christ being God, and there's men who believe he was Savior, they believe that he died on the cross, that he rose again, that he's their believer, but they do not believe that Jesus was God, and uh, it, it's a constant contention of trying to they come to the service, and I'm happy that they do that. They come over and over and over. Friday night, I finally just said, hey, Keith, 
What is it that makes you not believe that Jesus Christ is God? And and he spilled out a, a you know some thing that that he pulled from Scripture in every different way to prove that. Yet it just couldn't add up. And there's men inside the prison that con confronted that also. And it says, "Will you serve a God that's different than the God we serve?" It's just a I was going to say, that's a pretty fundamental error, and that's where you, the, the men in that yard and you and whoever's there need to contend for the faith because, because that is a heresy. That's exactly what Jude is talking about. That's a heresy that has slipped in if Jesus Christ is not, is not God. Um, I do think it's important that we not worry about some of the peripherals. I, I think there are disagreements among Christians. We know that, that are, that are legitimate and that we should maybe talk about and discuss, but we don't break fellowship and we don't say that this person's not a believer. That was one of the uh, things I was reading this week in preparation. Um, a pastor was saying that he was in London and he's in the airport and a guy walks up to him and asks him, are you saved? And he said, yes. He said, the guy looked shocked. Like first time he's heard that all day. And then the guy said, well, are you reformed? And he said, yes. He goes, what do you think about infant baptism? He said, here's a guy, he goes, we probably agree on 98%, and he's just working down until he finds the one place where we're going to disagree, and we're going to argue. That's not contending for the faith. That's just being contentious. Contending for the faith backs it up from here. It says, what are the core doctrines? And fight for those. Now, um, notice, it tells us that this faith was once for all, once for all delivered to the saints. It means exactly what it says. Once for all. That means it's something that's already happened. It's once for all. It was delivered. It was a package that came. And the package, of course, is this book, right? Christianity is a creedal religion. It isn't based upon some mystery. Um, it's in this book. Anytime you have false teacher, most of the time they're going to come and add something to the Word of God. There's something more that you need. We know it with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Mormons have their own book. Jehovah's Witnesses just change ours. They go through and they rewrite any verse that doesn't, doesn't match. But oftentimes you have somebody coming along and they make a claim like this. Um, I've discovered the secret to successful spiritual living. Okay? Here's, here's something to always come back to. There are no secrets in the Christian faith. There are no secrets. Everybody has this book. You can read it just like I can. And if it doesn't say it in there, it's not true. Now, I'm not saying that somebody doesn't find something that means something to them and they feel like they've discovered it new. But, but there's nothing new to be discovered in the Bible that hasn't been there from the beginning. And yet everybody's looking for a quick fix. We're looking for a fast way to become spiritual. You know, you've got to go through this program. You have to be part of this thing. N no, no. You, you, the, the scripture is sufficient. And any time you find somebody adding to it or taking away from it, those people are false teachers. 
One other major issue, I think, and John Stotts and MacArthur and a few others mentioned this, is that man has a real need for everything to be logically put together. They, they need to have two and two add to four. They need to be able to see that if I start at A, I'm going to get to Z, and, and that, that it makes sense. But when you get into looking at scripture, there's just such contrast that you have to put faith in because they don't add up to man's logic, and men can't see that. And, and that's what I battle a, a great deal there on, in the RV. Yeah, well, and that will be where the Holy Spirit does um, reveal to us as we, as we read. But the words of the text are there. And we don't have anything new that is to be offered. And, and if, if you think that there is, something's wrong. Years ago, I used to listen to a guy, I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Greg Kukul, K-O-U-K-L, I think. He was part of Stand to Reason, at least at the time, which was an apologetics organization that was attached to Viola. And he talked about how every, uh, one of his students, he, he taught apologetics. One of his students came to him and said, why do so many people get spiritually weird? Where they're all of a sudden following this weird thing. Why do they become spiritually weird? So he wrote an article, How to Keep from Becoming Spiritually Weird. Um, but he starts out, it's really interesting. He says, it seems like every couple of years, a new fad comes down the pike, promoting a deeper, richer, fuller Christian life. I've been around for a while and I know what I, and you know what I mean. Or if you've been around for a while, you know what I mean. In my 20 years as a Christian, We've had power and praise, the second blessing as key to the powerful Christian life, speaking in tongues, heavy-handed submission to church leadership, binding, loosing, and rebuking of demons, name it and claim it, the school of prophets, hearing the voice of God, power evangelisms. These are all fads, ladies and gentlemen, ev evangelical joy toys. They may each emphasize something that has biblical merit, but they do it in an unbalanced way and each fails utterly as a panacea the one particular and principal thing that makes your Christian life work. And that's what he goes on to say. Um, uh, there are no secrets in the Christian life. These people are offering you a secret. It's wrong. Something's wrong. Um, in fact, he says there's no, no secrets. Everything is public. And then he uh, goes on, does a number of other things. But at the end of it, he says, if you really want to be, keep from getting spiritually weird, know this book. He says, study it, learn it, read other books that help you understand it, but be studying this book. And then he says, does it seem like a big task? He goes, you've got the rest of your life. You've got the rest of your life to study this book, study this book. <clears throat> so that is contending for the faith. Any comments or questions? We have 10 minutes, and I do want to look at the people who are we're contending against, because that's verse 4. Any comments here before we go on? Yeah.
you know, we, we as a culture have lost our the salt and the light. And so it's, it's got to be bigger than just underneath the steeple. We've got to get out there. And we're seeing it with the bathrooms. We're seeing it with the abortion. But it's amazing that I'm considered radical because I'm out there. What's radical is we're killing children. Yeah. And so it's really just, it just blows my mind because you look at these people that are going there and they look just like us. They smile. They can be polite. They're made in God's image. And uh, these women that are going in there look just like us. And, uh, and we're considered radical because we're out there trying to. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm glad you said that because there is at the end of Jude, um, I, I was going to do, I, I forgot about it. <clears throat> when we talk about contend for the faith, the ending part of Jude tells us how to do that. And it's partly what you're saying right here, reaching out to other people and pulling people back. <clears throat> Go over to uh, Jude verse, um, verse 20. Um, I think this is where he starts, then he tells us about the false teachers, then he comes back, how do we contend for the faith? He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, we've just talked about that, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. First thing we need to do is be strong in our own faith. But then verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt, have mercy on them. Uh, if you have somebody who's doubting, contention means having mercy on them. It doesn't mean going in and fighting with them if they're doubting. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. That's what's happening upon parenthood. Some of them are being snatched out of the fire, right, as they go in. They're being snatched out of the fire. Uh, to others, show mercy with fear. There's some people, when you go and contend with them, you need to be fearful because of who they are and the power that they have. Because then it goes on to say, e hating even the garment stained by the flesh. In other words, there, there's some people that we're going to fight with, but be careful and be fearful. So there's some who are doubting. There's some who are heading for the fire. There are some who are um, defiled, and we need to be pulling them back. So... Go ahead, Ron. You started out by saying uh, there's people that you think contend for the scripture, like you know, Pastor Scott and our pastor staff and so forth. What Scott's just saying up here is that when others hear other people apostatize the truth, then they start believing it, and it creeps down to being one-on-one, -on -one, and it's us who are in the trenches, who are living day to day, that get confronted by that truth one person at a time. And we need to be able to talk to one person at a time. And not masses, but one-on-one -on -one with people and, and let them know the truth of Scripture contrary to what they may have been told from those people that preach to the, to the masses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's what it appears at the end of the book. This is a one-on-one -on -one thing. You're reaching out to the people around you. Okay, let's, let's, um, let me just finish quickly because this is just an introduction to what we'll do next week because it goes on and it talks about those we're contending with. And I know we only have three minutes, so that's fine. It says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. Now in Peter's book, he says, 
some people will creep in unnoticed. Apparently Jude saw this happen and felt like he needed to write. So I don't know if every church has people who've crept in unnoticed. My guess is they probably do. But, um, but we need to be on watch for that. People have crept in unnoticed. But what type of people? Um, people designated for condemnation. You understand these are not believers. These are people pretending to be believers. These are the exact opposite of what's said at the beginning. These are not people who are called and loved and kept. These are people who are marked for condemnation. Right? These are not believers. Um, they are ungodly people. And that's the first thing, ungodly people. Second is what? They pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. So there's an element of sensuality. And finally, they deny our master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This is kind of the flow of the rest of the book. Uh, ungodly, I believe, and we'll look at that next week, means unbelieving. To be ungodly means to not believe in God. Sensuality, this is when you're living for your own pleasure. Whatever that is to you, that could be financial, it could be um, sexual, it could be a whatever substance, it could be all sorts of things. Living just for your own pleasure. And then of course, in denying our Master and Lord, this deals with the whole issue of authority, which P, uh, Jude spends a lot of time with. One of the primary things you will watch is that a false teacher denies the authority. In John, John, third John, we saw that, that, that um, they denied even the apostle John's authority, that false teacher. They deny the authority of the scripture. They deny the authorities that have been put there. Uh, and ultimately, they're denying the Lord and Master. So we're dealing with people who are unbelieving, living for their own pleasure, and, um, and having trouble with authority or exerting their own authority. I think it's true of, this is true of any false teacher, but some people may find, you may find them, you know, suppressing one or hiding one, but ultimately, these are what we're going to be looking at next week, and a lot of examples from the scripture as we go through. So, um, we are contenders. You should be contending. Contend with the people close to you. Contend with those people who come in to you. To you. The church will contend for the faith as well. Um, and, and I do think there is a wider range where we live in a culture that doesn't know and the gospel needs to be being spread as well, obviously. Um, but, but we're to be fighting for the faith, which means you need to know it and you need to be, think it's important enough to fight for. So any comments before we finish today? Rod, one more. I think one of the most ungodly people that are so well disguised are those who believe that you, in works, that they have to, that they get their salvation through works. And it's extremely hard to ferret that out sometimes. Yeah, it is. Um, that's the whole book, point of the book of Galatians, right? <laughs> if anybody says you have to add works, um, keeping the law, let him be accursed. Becky.
Um, I can. Um, it's not really in Jude, but let's let's talk about it. Yeah, we. Um, Yeah, well, the most dangerous thing is when um, you take uh, a lot of error and mix just a little bit of truth in it, <laughs> right? That's, that's the, the, the danger. And uh, even some of the social issues that we're facing, we're seeing that. Christians are being characterized as unloving because we don't say support wholeheartedly or even uh, support at all gay marriage. But if we understand homosexuality to be a sin that can be judged by God, then to allow two people to, for society to sanction it means that we're allowing people to live in a lifestyle that sends them to hell. And it, it's not a loving thing to do that. If you see somebody driving for a cliff, to tell them they're going the wrong direction is the loving thing to do, to stand back and say, hey, that's their choice, that's unloving. And yet we are being characterized in our society as very unloving and intolerant when the exact opposite should be the case. Wait, 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 we got, go ahead. Yeah. And even hateful. We're not just unloving or intolerant, but hateful. Yeah, we're being considered yeah, hateful. Thrown around a lot. Yeah. Uh, bigots, yeah. yeah. At the same time, though, that's really what we've always had to face. When you read, when you read from scripture, when you read from history, that's what we have had to face. And I would argue it's something we shouldn't be afraid of, but I would also argue that when they do start labeling us as bigots and as hateful, it's also, we should also be careful not to feed that stereotype. Yes, we need to stand on the authority of the word, but also we want to make sure that, we want to make sure that those claims against us really are baseless. Yeah, I would agree.
It sounds like we do. I'm glad you brought that up, Becky. You kind of scratched a little, uh, a little. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll deal with that somewhere through here as we, as we go. And we're oh. just we're actually not judging. We're just saying what the Bible says and what God says. He's already judged. He's already judged. Well, and and here he said these people are already condemned, marked out for condemnation. So um, you can certainly stand on what 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 the Bible says that if we see people doing this, that those people are false prophets because, I mean, that's going to be the whole book point of Jude, which is why it, we need to think about it. Um, the book of Jude is going to tell us, watch people, if this is what you see, they are false, false teachers, they are apostates. So, all right, we need, to, we need to end here, so lots to think about. Read Second Peter this week. By the way, read Jude and Second Peter, it take you all of about 10 minutes. Read them one after the other and you will see the incredible correlation between those two. In fact, I thought about this when we talk about scripture. Um, Peter talks about how we actually saw the transfiguration, but we have the word of God and that is more sure. The word of God is, is where everything comes from for us as Christians. Anything else, uh, you're, you're treading on dangerous ground by believing something else that comes that's not from the Word of God.